Hello, everybody. Hello. Welcome to the Beans, Bullets, Bandages, and You, or 3BY, Project Podcast. I am Salty. And I'm Spice. Excuse me. Um, And you're hearing us. We're doing our thing. We're traveling. So if you hear any road noise in the background, sorry about that. We are driving between towns in the middle of nowhere in North Missouri. Because everywhere is the middle of nowhere in North Missouri. (laughs) And uh, so I've got uh, Spice here, and she's going to talk about food on the fin. Now, we've been doing a series on the the websites of of blog posts with pictures, but that just, it's too hard to to add in all the little details and explain things without, you know, you don't want to read a 500 page article on a website. It just gets a little long. So we're going to do a brief little podcast here and talk about some of the things we haven't covered in the Food on the Fin series and and fill in a few details. So I'm going to let her take charge of this, and here we go. The first part about building a pond so you can stock it with fish, so you can have both freely available water and swimming around protein anytime you desire, is to pick a piece of land where you can build a good pond. Fortunately, in North Missouri, we have clay and lots of it, which holds water well. So that started as a uh, plus for our being able to build a workable pond. However, when we were searching for sites to buy the land that would eventually become the place, one of the things we looked for is to make sure it had the kind of topography where it wouldn't be that hard to build a dam across the mouth of a ravine and turn it into a pond. We picked a spot that had never been used for agricultural production, so there wouldn't be a whole bunch of uh, pesticides in the soil. It had been logged at one point, but the hillsides were uh, very steep, which means we could put a dam across a fairly narrow area so it wouldn't cost an arm and a leg and would be able to build a pond that was of a good depth. It gets cold up here in the winter, most winters, and uh, ponds tend to freeze over solid, and that prevents the animals underneath from sometimes getting enough oxygen. So the pond's got to be deep enough that it doesn't freeze all the way to the bottom, and it's got to have enough water down there that it holds enough oxygen to sustain the fish until the top melts off again. Those of you in the southern climates probably don't have to have as deep a pond as what we do. But ours is, well, it's 18 feet deep. It's the very deepest. Most of the bottom of it is 16 feet deep. And then it slopes up uh, pretty dramatically towards the end. I mean, it's a pretty steep, uh, but the embankments are are really pretty steep. Um, The dam side is probably the shallowest as far as the embankment. But over on the two sides where the ravines were, it goes, I mean, you could be standing three feet from the shore and your head's the only thing sticking out of the water, as we well know. Been there, done that, in fact. And it's cold. The water's cold, too. We have a thermocline, but it's only, what, a foot down? Two feet? No, it's about three, three and a half at high summer. Okay. And that's actually pretty shallow, but that's indicative of a very deep pond. We once went to 
diving in a rock quarry. We're divers. And uh, it was a very deep quarry. And it was a very small quarry. And the thermocline was only like four feet down. So we, you were at a really comfortable 70 some odd degrees in the water. And then boom, it hits you to, to 52 degrees. <laughs> Hello. When you're wearing warm weather diving stuff and at 52 degrees, it gets real cold. It doesn't sound as cold as it actually is. If you're a diver, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's certainly not too cold to dive, but you do need to be dressed for it. It's certainly a lot colder than taking a shower with strictly cold water from the tap most times of year in most places of the country. And you know that gets a bit brisk. But anyway, deep enough. Uh, Only ended up being about a third of an acre of surface area. Would plan for more, but when the bulldozer guy hit a big glacial erratic, which is a big boulder left behind by the last ice age as it retreated, it got to be very questionable whether a dam built lower down would hold water effectively. He knew he had a good spot that would be watertight, so went ahead and put it in there, and a third of an acre is what we got. And And on the other side, on the good side is he, he came in under budget doing it that way, too. So, you know, it's not like it cost us extra. But we were we were hoping for about half an acre. But it's okay. It is what it is. Yeah. And when, we, when you build a project like this, you take your best guess. Because you never, you know, he was he was down there with his D6. And he's like, I don't know what I'm going to run into. I could hit bedrock. I could hit limestone. There is limestone in the area. I could hit that. And that stuff's porous. So I don't want to go deep enough to hit that. And, you know, maybe that won't hold water. We want this thing to hold water. That's the whole idea behind a pond. So, so he took that big glacial erratic she's talking about and pushed it over to the side, and now we have a nice place to sit. Yeah, it's a picnic rock right beside the pond. So, uh, The way I found the guy is I talked to the real estate agent who sold us the place, and he knew a local guy with a bulldozer who had built ponds successfully for many people before. So not just anybody who knows how to run a bulldozer knows how to build a pond. This guy did really well for us. He worked especially hard since a big rain was in the forecast. The last thing we wanted is that big rain to hit with the dam half-built, and the water would overtop the dam, and the dam would wash away, and maybe we get a dam after that. Maybe we don't. (laughs) So he worked especially hard. He got the dam built, called us, it's done, and it started raining. Our first plan was that we would put the cover in for the fish. Once the dam was built, we'd put some cover, which in this case means cut off cedar trees that are put in the right and the right places on the bottom of the pond. We would place the cover, and then the pond would eventually fill up with water. Didn't quite happen that way, because the rain started just as he was finishing the dam. We got six inches of rain in one night, and the dam was full the next morning. <laughs> or the pond was full the next morning we gave that about a year's worth of time because we needed to have something at the bottom of the food chain for the fish and that means algae Uh, the frogs migrated from a, a little bitty cattail pond a stone's throw away and they got there within the first week and we knew the frogs would bring algae in with them So all we had to do is give it some time for the sediment to settle and the little algae to multiply and would be golden. Let the pond sit for the rest of the year while we worked on erosion control. And the trick of erosion control is covered in one of the blog posts. 
Yeah, and and I'll, I'll just emphasize the the fact that we bought this in the we we closed on the property in late May, early June, and you know it, all the planning and stuff it takes. It was it was August, and then into August before the pond was built. And one of our big concerns was getting ground cover in over that winter to control some of the erosion because this, like I say, these these banks are really steep. And they were just clay. And they'd just been scraped clean of all the lovely roots that had been holding them in place for generations. So we needed a new set of roots. So while the little algae started multiplying, I got to work on first seeding the sides with perennial rye. Because it's known to develop a good root system, it's known to not need very good soil, which we didn't have good soil. And it's known to be tolerant of drought. And because the sides are so steep, the water would run off the sides into the pond really quickly. It would get dry on the sides of the pond, above the water line, between rains. Now, this pond is kind of down in its little in a little valley. I mean, obviously, it's not you don't put a top pond at the top of a hill. And there's not a whole lot of breeze that goes on down there. And this was August in North Missouri, and it was hot. It was I mean... Hot, 101 degrees the day I was out there. Putting of course, stuff we're down, down next to a pond, so there's the humidity going on, and the pond humidity, and the it was, yeah, it, as you're sowing grass seeds and you're sweating, and you're carrying straw bales, so you got to be covered, <laughs> legs covered, arms covered. I got a little warm, but I got her done. You weren't the only person there. I know. But I'm not going to say how hot you got. I was near I, your skin. Yeah, I, I admit it. I got so hot I had to sit down on what we now call Cedars Rock, the big erratic. I had to sit down for a few minutes because I was overheating. I really was. I mean, I then went up and dumped some water over my head and got back to it. But it was hot. Well, I'll tell you, if I, I think I've got a picture. Well, I don't know if I do or not, of how she looked covered in straw and <laughs> seeds and oh my goodness you would not believe how it was but anyway we got it done and how'd that work put straw on top of it worked okay okay we the, got something the dam and the approach to the dam that came from the clearing at the top of the hill down to the dam those guys greened up really nicely, and we got good erosion control on them the first year. The steeper sides that were more raw clay didn't work quite as well. I tried a couple of other kinds of species. I kind of ticked the lead on this particular project because I'm the biologist in the family. And she frankly has more time. Yeah. My schedule is not as uh, 9 to 5 in the office yeah. or nine to or 8 to Seven Whatever. in the office. Seven in the office is working half the evening. So yeah, so I could go do it. Uh, so I took the lead on this particular one. Anyway, tried a few different species. Uh, did some tricks in the ditches that started to develop in response to the rain, sticking straw bales down into them, uh, blocking them up with little shivs of wood, and packing straw behind them to make water slowdowns to slow the erosion. And. It's under control now. It's doing pretty well now. It's about three years in now. 
So why don't you tell them what we did about the uh, the fish and the cover for the fish and the trees experiment, <laughs> the sinking of the trees. Yes. Uh, it's it seemed like a really good idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, the first thing we did before we even got the cover in for the uh, trees is we put in the fish that are lower on the food chain. Minnows. I didn't know what to do, so I called the conservation department. And whether you like the government entities that do this stuff or not, you're paying for them. So it makes sense to make good use of them. Now and that, the guy was really helpful for me. Let's be clear. They have programs where they'll help you build a pond, they'll help you stock. We didn't get any of that. No, we no. just called the guy for advice. That's all we did. Just yeah. talked to the guy on the phone. I just, we're, you know, we're not putting government programs on our land. I'm sorry. It's not going to happen. No, nah, because that gives them control over it. But he was happy to send me an email like... I gave him the dimensions of the pond and what we wanted to do with it and what the land was like up there. And he gave me suggestions for numbers of species and types of species that would be effective and in what order and what time frame to stock them. Unfortunately, we happen to live near a premier fish farm yes. that does pond stocking and lake stocking. And and uh, they just happen to be within, you know... Two our miles area. of my line of drive. Yeah, two miles of my, my line of drive to, from one from our daily house out to the place. So, you know, it's it's great. In fact, we're probably not very far from them right now. We're driving. So, anyway, so we were able to get the fish at a reasonable price. We're, you know, little bags full of fish. Yep. I got uh, blackhead minnows. Two, <laughs> their name is dinner, basically. And uh, bluegill which eat mostly insects and insect larvae. They don't mind uh, tadpoles either. And by this time, the pond was overflowing with frogs and tadpoles because they migrated in from the herp pond, and they loved it, and there were no fish there yet, and they had a population explosion. Just as you know, the herp, what she calls the herp pond, is a little old cattle pond. Uh, a cattle pond is different. It's designed just to be a shallow draft pond so they, with drinking water, but it's something that the cows can stand in when it's very hot. So well, they're not deep. They won't keep fish. They won't keep fish. Because they're too shallow. Right. But they'll keep, you know, we have a lot of cattails and stuff in it. There's quite yes. a bit of edible stuff there. And there's even some really nasty looking water. Because <laughs> it's. It would be perfectly good if we went through the usual purification methods. Yeah, it's just very biological. Not very appetizing, however. Think pond scum. We've got pond scum. It's good biological stuff. Anyway, long story short. So she puts the fish in the first year, the feeder fish. And the catfish. And the catfish. Which eat everything that's slow enough for them to catch. So... They would have plenty to eat with whatever insect larvae, tadpoles, dead stuff that fell to the bottom, all that. And again, we're doing, we're pushing to get this all in. Yeah. Because we're trying to, you know, it takes years for these fish to grow. So, got those in. Our next chance at getting cover in the pond came during the following winter. Because the plan is... We ask people how to do this when you don't have good cover in there. Oh, what you do is you wait until it freezes over, and then you drag your trees out onto the ice with weights attached to the trees. And then when the ice thaws, the weights pull the trees down. You've got the uh, rope lengths and depths chosen, so the tips of the trees are still submerged a couple feet under the water, and you've got the body of the tree under the water, 
and it makes great fish cover. Now, that sounds like a really great plan, doesn't it? It does. It sounds like it ought to work. And we thought it, it went beautifully. Yeah, we were just, yeah, cool. We, we got those uh, a couple cedars cut down, Christmas tree-sized, and uh, drug them out onto the ice, attached them with a nylon rope, because it doesn't rot much in water, with two uh, concrete blocks, and left them out there until the spring thaw. We learned some things. Yes, we did. Concrete blocks have sharp edges, and they will cut through nylon rope. So if you're going to do this, the thing to do is get an old bicycle tube and stick the, cut it off, and stick the nylon rope through the middle of the bicycle tube. Or, conversely, take your concrete block and just chip a few chips off of it so that it's not sharp on the edges. Yeah, or even wrap the part where the uh, rope's going to go with duct tape would probably do fine too. Because even the the little amount of current that you get in one of these ponds on tree pulls it just a little bit and these blocks are really sharp. It doesn't take too much to cut through a nylon rope. We know this because when I went to find out why one of the trees wasn't where it had been left on the concrete block, I found the sawed through nylon rope where it had cut itself free from the block. The other tree managed to get loose in a different way. Edges of ponds thaw sooner than the deep parts of ponds because they warm up closer in the sho- or sooner in the shallower water. So what happened there is the edges of the pond thawed out first. The ice flow that had our second cedar tree with its concrete block was blown to the edge. And then when it finally melted, it left the tree in about... Well, it was only about two foot from the edge of the pond, so it was already in about four feet of water. But that wasn't nearly enough water to submerge the tree. And it was sticking up, and yeah, it looked ugly. And and if you're going to put a tree in there for fish uh, habitat, you know, it needs to be underwater. Because yeah. the fish don't go above the water to get the full use out of it. Turns out the part that was sticking up in the air was not very useful to the fish. No. And we also wanted some cover for the fish to be a little deeper because it gets too warm at the very top layer in the summer for them. i got to admit, part of it, too, was it was pretty ugly. And it, yeah. just, it was kind of groove-busting. Fortunately, being a diver, I've got a wetsuit. Yeah, so she just basically, yeah, I climbed in there and, basically went out there and towed the trees out to where they were supposed to go and dropped them off. Yeah, by that time they were waterlogged enough they didn't need the weights on them. I, so, that, that, you know, it worked out. Yeah. Another thing she did is we, we took some uh, shingles, wooden shingles, cedar shingles, were they? Yeah. They were actually little uh, cedar shims that people use to stick underneath the cabins when the cabins sink a little bit in the soil as they do every freeze-thaw cycle through the winter. Uh, we actually use them to level our own cabin from time to time. Uh, and I bought a whole bunch of them, and while I had the wetsuit on, I went around the edges sticking those guys in like little shells so there would be hiding places underneath them for little bitty fish to be able to hide from the big fish otherwise the big fish would just clear them out as soon as we put the big fish in yeah and they do work they're still there yeah we knew that the uh, bluegill were breeding because bluegill build little circular nests and if you're a diver you know exactly what those look like and they build them close enough to shore we could see them from the dam so we knew the bluegill were breeding and 
by about May of the second year of the pond's life, it was time to put in the bass. Because with the bluegill breeding and the, and the frogs in there and, and the blackhead minnows having had a chance to breed for a year, we had enough in there to feed the top predators. So I went back and I bought a bunch of bass and put them in the pond. The only wildlife left to add to the pond is if the vegetation grows up too much, I'll get some grass carp. Grass carp will not breed in still water. And they're grazers. So if you start to have greenery problems, you buy a number of grass carp suitable for the size of your pond, and they just swim around grazing for 10 or 15 years, keeping your vegetation down, and then they die of old age, and you got to build some, or uh, go, got to go get some new ones. Okay, so we're about to our location, so we're going to cut this pretty short. But we will tell you, we do know, we know we have fish, even though they're almost impossible to see because the pond is, you know, it's got half a foot of visibility. Like, so you really can't see the fish except for the little bitty guys up against the shore. You can see them. But, you know, you can see a fish popping pop on the water every once in a while, but it's kind of hard to tell. But... Uh, we did it, or we, I say she, did an experiment this weekend to find out if we have fish. And it's called... Fishing it for the first time. It, we fished it for the first time. And the first couple of casts were pretty disappointing because it was a dark lure in dark water and nothing happened. But then my brother was there helping me and he's like, oh, I got a brighter colored lure and it's a great lure. Put that lure on there. It hit the water. Twitch, twitch, bass. Meanwhile, my sister-in-law was supposed to be checking out the uh, bluegill population. She stuck a worm on a hook. It hit the water. Dink! Down goes the bobber. Bluegill. So, we've got fish. How big were they? The bluegill was, oh, five inches. The bass was six and a half or so. They're both kind of skinny. I wouldn't call them pan size yet, but in another year they will be. Right. The, the the bass have been in there. This is 2000. We bought the place in 2014. The bass went in in 2015. Is that right? No, 2014 no. it settled. The spring of 15, we put in the bluegill and catfish and minnows, and which means spring of 16. 16. We so, put yeah, in these the bass. bass are about a year old then. Yeah. So they're, they're, not, they're not ready to fish. We were just wanting to know what was in the pond. See, because it's kind of, you know, you, you put the work into it. You want to make sure that they're actually, like, alive and stuff. So that's what we did. So good. Water supply, fish supply. Water, water Anytime supply, we yeah. really need fish, they're, they're there. If we were desperate, we could fish them now. Now, of course, that's not a lifetime supply of fish. No. It's just not. Um. You, you got to keep in mind that this is this isn't providing the family a years full years full of fish food, but it's a supplement, and more importantly than the protein is, it's a source of water. That's what really the the, the thing is more than anything else. It's a source of water, and there's a lot of water in that pond. And since all the water has not had a lot of agriculture drainage in it, it is perfectly um, appropriate. To use for the start of the filtration process and the cleanup process. Obviously, you have to, you know, filter because it's got giardia and all that stuff in it. And it's just, you wouldn't want to just drink pond water. But you can 
uh, use that as your base water to go off of starting a filtration project. And okay. it also gives us, you know, we've been planting uh, trees. It gives us a place to pull water or two for the trees. But that is a subject of a different podcast. And we're going to talk about trees. And we're going to talk about selection of trees and what it is we're doing and what we recommend, um, certainly in, in future podcasts. We also know exactly where the deer come down to drink, and we've got a lovely deer hide that we could uh, hunt from right across the farm. Oh, yeah, it's a perfect it. place, perfect place. And known they, distance, know, know exactly where they come down and have a good spot in cover to shoot from. So, yeah. Well, we're home. We're here. We made it back. So we're going to um, say goodbye for this episode. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. I think number four, I think, believe it was, wasn't it? It's four. Um, and we'll catch you the next time. Until then. Goodbye, and thanks for listening. <laughs>